0: Welcome back friends, LostGarf here, and it's time for the newest Kirby's Dreamcast, and today, it's going to be a very big episode, because we're going over a gaming episode, and it is Kirby's Dreamland 2. Hal is deep in debt, Satoru Wad is handling the stress of being a president of a company, but Kirby is here to save them. This is the fifth Kirby game, and it continues to keep Hal alive as it fights to survive. Now if you're new here, this is a podcast about everything Kirby. We're covering all of it with as much information as possible so you can learn all about Kirby and everything around him. If you have thoughts or comments, you can direct them to us on YouTube comments or at our Twitter at Kirby Though this is a podcast episode, I highly recommend the YouTube version as it will be- have a lot of visuals accompanying what I'm saying here. I am going to be incredibly thorough in this episode and you're going to know every detail there is about this game. I spent a lot of time playing, researching, writing... All this stuff, then there's going to be all the editing going to the video version of this, and all together alone, it's going to be about 70-80 hours worked into just today's episode. The only thing missing is anything I couldn't find that has Japanese details, because I just can't read Japanese. Anything that's not translated, I just can't get a hold of. That's the only problem there. I just don't speak the language, I'm working on learning language, but I'm far from there. So, if there's anything that got lost in translation because it's just not documented in English, that's the only blind spot I have. The initial playthrough of Kirby's Dream Land 2 can be found on our side channel, which is youtube.com slash ScarfPlays, where I also do other extra LPs, but all Kirby playthroughs will go on that channel eventually, as we go through every single game. One quick bit of news, I don't usually put news in these game episodes, but the Waddle Dee Nendoroid, the pre-order is out now. Go to any place that does importing, or if you're in Japan, just go to a place where you can pre-order in Japan. And they're going to have attachments that let you have Bandana D out of Waddle D, so that's really cool right there. They're also going to re-release Original Kirby and Ice Kirby, so here's a bunch of chances to get these Nando rides, and they're really good. I love them a lot. They're fun to pose and put pieces on. If you have the money, check them out. So today's podcast will be split into a couple sections. First will be the background and the making of Kirby's Dream Land 2. Then it's going to be what's going on with Hal at this time, because we go over what's happening with Hal for the full history of them so you know how it's impacting Kirby and such. The advertising for Kirby's Dream Land 2, how well did the game sell, the box and game manual, the game itself, and we're going to try to weave this gameplay into a story about Kirby, and that's going to be a big section of this. And lastly, all about the staff in the credits that worked on Kirby. That's going to be a big section as well, because it's interesting to see who all these people are. Some of them will be big heroes in Nintendo and in Hell in the Future, and their starts around either this game or Kirby's Dream Course or Kirby's Dream Land 1. Around that point, a lot of stars show up. And unfortunately, not much is known about Kirby's Dream Land 2's production. It was the fifth game in the Kirby series, and the next mainline game in the canon. It was released on the Game Boy in Japan on the 21st of March, 1995, six months after Kirby's Dream Course, which was released on the SNES. The director, Shinichi Shimomura, worked on Kirby's Dream Course as the map designer. So you can assume they spent six months to make Kirby's Dream Land 2, or the development time was longer, and he was working on two games at once. From looking at the credits between Kirby's Dream Course and Dreamland 2, there is very little overlap, so it's possible dev time was longer to a degree. Shimomura was the director after all, and they're gonna need to keep their eyes on Dreamland 2. So, they could have been working on Dreamland 2 while also working on Dream Course, and just mostly directing while mapping on the other, and maybe it worked out. By the way, it came out in the U.S. on May 1st and in the EU on July 31st. It was re-released once on 3DS Virtual Console in February 2012 in Japan, May in the EU 2012, and in the U.S. in August of 2013, and April 2016 for South Korea. Dreamland 2 would be the beginning of the Dark Matter Trilogy... And Dark Matter does appear in later games, but it isn't the main visible antagonist of the later games. But it does have a big hand in those things as well. Kirby's Dream Land 2 does reappear in the collection games as well, but those don't exactly count as re-releases. So really quick, I'm going to go down the credits, but we'll go into depth at the end of the podcast. And that is, the credits are, Executive Producer Hiroshi Yamamuchi, which is, uh, Yamauchi, which is the uh, president of Nintendo. He's always the Executive Producer, so he's on everything at this point. The producers were Satori Wada, Shigeru Miyamoto. Project manager Atsushi Kakuta. Director Shinichi Shimamura. Programmers were Yoshiki Suzuki, Shimei Tei, and Masashi Yamane. CG designers are Shijiro Yashiguchi, Kazuya Mura, and Yoshiko Okubo. Composers were Hirokazu Ando and Tadashi Ikigami. You're going to notice there's a certain name missing that's June, and I'll mention them later. ES Designer was also Asushi Kakuta. Map Designers were Shinichi Shimomura, Kensuke Tanabe, and Hideki Fuji. Tool programmers were Seiji Odoguro and Yoshimi Takahashi. And I'll go into depth on everyone who's important from that uh, when we get to that point. Now, for HAL themselves, they're still deep into debt at this point with Nintendo, and Kirby is the workhorse that's going to keep them going. By 1997, by the time Kirby is 5 years old, he'll have 10 to 11 games, depending on how you put it, because 10 is if you don't count Kirby's Avalanche, which was US only, but if you do, it's 11. But right now we're at the fifth game. Satori Wada is working on many projects as president of HAL during this time. As for games that aren't Kirby, there's nothing. Earthbound is the last non-Kirby game. Developed for a while with HAL, and before Kirby's Dreamland 2 was Kirby's Dream Course, and before that was Earthbound, which was no small feat. That was thanks to the help of Satari Iwata. And after Kirby's Dreamland 2, we will see Kirby's Avalanche in the US, then Kirby's Block Ball. As for Sakurai, they're hard at work with Kirby's Superstar, and that of course takes three years to make, but they did help produce Kirby's Dreamland 2 alongside Satari Iwata. Now, for advertising, of course, there were magazine ads and things like that. But when it comes to TV, this is where it's very interesting. There were two ads for Kirby's Dream Land 2 in Japan. There was the short 20-second ad that had a big float of balloons of Kirby, Rick, Kine, and Ku, and with the two hanging off Kirby. And they show some gameplay and give the release date. They also show that you can play it with the Super Game Boy for a colorful palette. It's really all you need to know. There's a new Kirby game coming out and you should get it. Yeah, like At that point, you're like, oh, if you're a fan of Kirby, you're going to get this. The second ad was a long-form special commercial with Mario P-Cross. So the way this one worked is, they'd show Mario P-Cross for the first half, and this was a 10-minute commercial altogether, by the way. And so the first half was Mario P-Cross, and then they would show the shorter version of a P-Cross ad there. After that was the Game Boy Bros. commercial. And the Game Boy Bros. was a line of colored Game Boys, like red, yellow, and such, instead of the usual gray. After that was a three-minute commercial for Kirby's Dream Land 2. And in it, there's a two-and-a-half-minute segment where it's them going over an overview of the game. They explain Kirby's powers, the powers of Rick, Khan, and Koo. They also go over the rainbow drops. Then the last 20 seconds is that TV commercial ad again. And it's amazing how much information they, they put into this short video. They get a lot across in very little time. Now, for the U.S. commercial, it's, uh, it's something else. So the U.S. really didn't think kids would like a cute game. So they always try to make Kirby angry or bad, like just a bad kind of dude. And this dread was far from over at this point. In this commercial, there's a biker telling a poem about friendship, while Kirby, Rick, Kine, and Ku roll in and beat up some bikers. Kirby even sucks up a biker, and when the poem telling biker asks Kirby if he wants to be his friend, Kirby spits out the jacket of the biker he ate at the camera, hitting the camera, and it implies that Kirby ate the biker. Jeez, that's a bit much. In the future, we will do an episode just on the, ver- the difference between Japanese and U.S. Kirby, and when they finally just gave in and went to just go for cute Kirby like he is now. And that'll be a very fun podcast to do for sure. Just over the advertising and the box art. Oh man, there's a lot there. Now, Kirby's Dream Land 2 was reviewed favorably in around like the 75% area from reviewers like Electronic Gaming Monthly and GamePro. Their main complaints was the recycling content from Kirby's Dreamland 1, which surprises me because there's not that much. Like there's enemies, of course, but there's only a couple from Dreamland 1 in here. A lot of this is new stuff, but I guess they just didn't notice that, which is unfortunate. Nintendo Power would later rank the game as the 10th best video game on Game Boy slash Game Boy Color. It was praised for being a harder Kirby game, and just being creative with the animal powers and everything. And Kirby's Dream Land 2 did pretty dang well. It sold 2.36 million copies overall. That's a really good amount of selling. Holy crap. The box art for Kirby's Dream Land 2 is a pleasant surprise. Usually the box art for US and Japan are different, but they're the same this time. The main difference is the US version is a darker coloring, so on the cover is Kirby riding Rick while uh, Kine is falling behind, and Ku is flying ahead. They're in what looks like to be Grassland, which is the first level of the game. There's a Gordo floating in the air, a Parasol Waddle Dee is floating down, a Brown bird is in the background, and a Red Spark in the background as well. There's also stars all over the place, and in the US version, the game title is Above Everyone, while in Japan, the title is under Rick and Kirby. The back of the boxes have the same art as well, with Kirby being carried by Ku, but the US version includes Kirby in Kine's mouth as well. That one extra detail certainly makes the U.S. version a little bit better, because you can see Kine and Kirby together, and that's just not shown at all in the Japanese box. The back of the box says this. Kirby's Dream Land 2. Return the Rainbow Bridges to the Enchanted Rainbow Islands with Kirby. The Rainbow Bridges have disappeared. Help Kirby solve the mystery. Search the seven Rainbow Islands while battling King Dedede and his horde of evil minions. Meet Rick the Hamster, Kine the Fish, and Koo the Owl. He holds important abilities that can multiply the magnitude of Kirby's powers, earn the mysterious Rainbow Sword, and prepare to face Kirby's most menacing rival ever, the evil Dark Matter. Kirby is back with incredible new friends, enemies, and powers. Programmed to take full advantage of the Super Game Boy features, provides excellent play control and clear, sharp graphics. Excellent entertainment for Kirby fans of all ages. And they also show you an image of it in black and white and in color. That's a key thing to mention, I don't think I mentioned earlier, is that the game could be played on the Super Game Boy, which was on the SNES, and some games had a full color palette, Kirby's Dream Land 2 was one of them. Other games had like a special shading, that's it, like you could play Kirby's Pinball Land and it had some coloring to it, but nothing major, at least not compared to Dream Land 2. So the game manual is pretty cute. It has a red-white, reddish-pink aesthetic going on there. The front page is blue with the game title, but the inside is that aesthetic I just said. There's lots of images of Kirby and his animal friends and them with their powers, and the story according to the manual is as follows. Kirby lives in the rainbow islands of Dreamland. The rainbows that connect the islands have been stolen by the evil Dark Matter. Dark Matter has taken control of King Dedede and wants to turn Dreamland into a dark world. With the help of three friends, Kirby sets out on his latest quest to save Dreamland. So this time, Kirby lives on the Rainbow Islands in Dreamland. This is the only game that describes these places as islands. Future games will have some of these locations, but they won't be islands. As always, the game manual does a great job of showing Kirby and the controls verbally and visually. Lots of cute images throughout the manual. They show that the powers this time are Parasol, Burning, Needle, Spark, Ice, Stone, and Cutter Kirby. Watergun returns from Kirby's adventure. It's not as powerful as it will be in the future since Kirby spits out a weak stream in the water, but later on he just like hits a big blast, so it'll be great. Rick the Hamster has a feature that isn't obvious in the games. He doesn't slip on ice. Kind the Fish is able to swim through strong currents and also allows Kirby to suck and swallow enemies underwater. And Coo the Owl is able to get through strong winds while carrying Kirby. He also can't swallow while flying. The means to get these friends is by defeating mini-bosses who have captured them. The manual... Also shows some of the annual plus power uh, combinations with Kirby. The manual tells you about the rainbow drops, but doesn't tell you that you'll need to do some thinking to figure out how to get them. The man describes the first three islands and their respective boss, and let me read that part. Grassland is an open field. Team up with Rick as you proceed to watch out for Wispy Woods. Second one's Big Forest. Battles in the air are brewing, but if you have Koo, you'll be okay. N'Ruff and Nelly will be waiting for you. and Then level 3 Ripple Field... Most of Ribble Field is underwater. Be sure to look for kind and watch out for sweet stuff. And then the other ones just show you the bosses, and that's Iceberg, which has the Ice Dragon, Red Canyon, which has Mr. Shine and Mr. Bright, Kaladi Park, which has Krakow, and then Dark Castle, which has King Dedede. They also tell you that you need the Rainbow Drops to make the Rainbow Sword to defeat Dark Matter. Now, before I talk about Kirby's Dream Land 2 as a story, we gotta go over some things in general that I just can't describe any other way. And, again, I just mentioning the color palette. It had a pretty good color palette, so you, just, you can see that Ku is purple, Kine is blue, and Rick is like a brown-orange-white hamster kind of guy. You can also see what color King Dedede is. Like, this is if you didn't play uh, Dream Course, which is the first one to show you the colors of some of these characters. A sad thing is, all re-releases of Kirby's Dream Land 2 have the original variant and not the Super Game Boy colored variant, which I don't understand that at all. I don't know why they didn't go with that. So, like, the, the collections and the re-release, just, it's just the black and white. Which is just unfortunate. Mednight is actually not in Kirby's Dream Land 2. He actually isn't in any of the Dark Matter trilogy games, which surprised me when I realized that. Up to this point, he's only appeared in Adventure and Pinball Land, and in that, he was an Easter egg. Uh, he'll appear again in Kirby's Avalanche, which is non-canon, though. And that, we won't see him again until Kirby Superstar, where he's going to be a main antagonist of one of those games. What makes this game special is that... Uh, there's a lot of firsts in this game for the Kirby series. This is the first game to include the Animal Friends. It's the first one to have animal plus power uh, combinations, which leads to power mixing in future games like Kirby 64, and of course Star Allies way, way later down the line. It's the first game with a secret boss. It's not an easy game. This is the first game with a percentage, so to go for the 100%. It's the first game that gives you hidden collectibles to find, which are the rainbow drops. It's the first game to give you collectibles to get a life up, which is the Small Stars, and it's the first mainline Kirby game to not have a hidden hard extra mode. It does have sound tests, though. It has boss rush and bonus rush modes, which were in Adventure. But yeah, I'm just really surprised there's a harder mode. Then again, the ga- base game is harder than Dreamland 1, but I'm still surprised they didn't go with just something to make it harder. Maybe they did pack the cartridge full to the brim, though, uh, for back then with the Game Boy. I'm not sure about that, but maybe they did. And that's why they couldn't add more. And the last thing to mention before we get into the opening of this story is the moment you boot up the game, you're introduced to Kirby's new animal friends. They slide onto the screen in sections, the top third is Rick's profile, the middle is Koo, and then the bottom third is Kine. Then Kirby's Dream Land 2 pops up on the screen, and Kirby runs across the title screen, being cute as always. He runs, he slides, he hops, and so on. Then the game will show gameplay while waiting for you to start the game. When you start the game, you'll see three profiles to choose from, and a percentage. Also, you bomb if you want to erase a profile. As you pick your profile, the game starts. So Kirby lives on the planet Popstar, and on that planet he lives in the country of Dreamland. Here, Kirby is currently staying at the Rainbow Islands of Dreamland. They're called that because the islands are connected by actual rainbow bridges. One day, the rainbow's connecting the islands disappears, and King Dedede orders his minions to patrol the islands, and guard the rainbow drops guarded on each island. His minions swear they heard snoring during the order, and Kirby, sensing he's needed, wakes up from a nap and goes out to investigate what's happened to the rainbows. Kirby first starts his investigation on the grassland island, with the parasol in hand in case it rains. He first runs into a local resident, Rick the Hamster. He's a brown and white hamster that's a little bit bigger than Kirby. Together, they play a little bit with Rick holding Kirby in a ball form in the air with the parasol, and they have a good laugh, and then Kirby goes on his way. Rick decides that maybe he should help Kirby with his investigation, and follows him. Kirby flies on his warp star to the center of grassland and surveys the area, and then decides where to go first. One thing I forgot to mention is the level select is just like Kirby's adventure where Kirby goes through doors to each level, Uh, Kirby encounters King Dedede's minions and he senses they're up to no good, trying to start trouble in the neighborhood. Maybe they're responsible for the rainbow's missing. Where there's King Dedede's minions, there's usually King Dedede's medley. He asks uh, them the only way he knows how, with his mouth. Kirby runs up and eats and spits various enemies, Naming the first he encounters are Waddle Dee and Broomhatter. The Waddle Dees are on patrol and give Kirby trouble, as that's their usual job. Broomhatter's aggressively cleaning the area, and Kirby's in her way. Kirby sees little stars with eyes before him as well. Kirby meets one, and it's friendly, so Kirby decides to collect them during his investigation, so he has more friends. And the more he gathers, the more determination he gets within himself. That'd be extra lives. Kirby also encounters Brown O'Burt and Bouncy T, uh, who will later be known as just Bouncy, by the way. She's on her first mission in King Dedede's army, and unfortunately for her, Kirby's here, and it doesn't go well for her. Kirby's Dream Land 2 is her premiere. She's also pink. She has a cute bow on her head and a spring body. We'll learn in a later game that she's actually a ball, and that spring is her armor. (laughs) It's unfortunate when she gets knocked out of it. Kirby then runs into Poppy Bros. Jr., and knowing he'll just try to play a trick on him, Kirby dispatches the Hopping Jokester quickly, and all others in the area. Kirby then runs into a Drifter, a resident of the islands who worked for Jumper Shoot, who in turn works for King Dedede. Drifter is basically a parasol with one big eye, it's like it's a living umbrella, and Kirby didn't realize it was a living creature at first because he went to go grab it, and accidentally actually crashed into it and knocked it out. Oops! Kirby then runs into another Drifter and decides to swallow this time and see how it goes. And with this, he gains his first ability of the day. Parasol Kirby! Kirby then wreaks havoc with the parasol to get the King Dedede's enemies out of his way while he searches for the rainbows. In his mayhem, Kirby accidentally destroys the ground under an egg, and he tries to catch the egg with the parasol, but it cracks the egg open, and out comes a tweeting bird! The bird also lands on the parasol, and that knocks out the bird. Oops again! Kirby hopes no one saw that as he sweeps away the eggshells and the body, and then goes back to searching. This egg combo is known as Crack Tweet. Kirby's Pinball Land was their first appearance, actually, and this is their first and only mainline appearance as well. So after causing enough trouble in his search, Kirby finds a springboard and launches himself into the clouds to grab his Warp Star and searches elsewhere on Grassland. I won't be mentioning the springboard every time, by the way, since that's the end of every level, but sometimes I might mention it. In the next area, Kirby encounters a flamer spinning around a block, a familiar enemy that Kirby remembers from his first adventure. Kirby tries to ask it questions, but all it does is spin. It then remembers Kirby's dangerous and tries to fly away, but Kirby hurriedly throws his parasol in the air and sucks up the flamer. They didn't get away, but Kirby didn't get any answers either. Eventually, Kirby searches a cave and finds a surprising sight. Someone's been stuffed in a sack and hung up in the ceiling. Kirby definitely knows this isn't okay and attacks the one guarding the sack. His enemy turns out to be a burnt flame with legs named Efriti. This game will be their only appearance in the Kirby universe, by the way. Kirby tries to convince them to let whoever's in the sack go, but negotiations immediately go up in smoke when Kirby accidentally bumps into Efreeti with his parasol and hurts them. Efriti decides to blast himself at Kirby, and after a sound beating with the parasol, Kirby ends up uh, with an unconscious Efreeti and sucks them up to gain the burning ability, which allows Kirby to blast himself at enemies just like Efreeti. By the way, uh, Freddy does appear in one more game, just realized it's in Kirby's toy box, which will be an interesting one to cover. Then the sack comes down, because whoever was guarding has been defeated, and out comes Rick the hamster. Turns out he got caught by King Dede's army while he was trying to follow Kirby. The pair reunited, Kirby hops on Rick's head, and they head out together. Rick tries to talk, but, but to his surprise, fire comes out of him. Turns out Kirby can transfer his powers to his friend, apparently. They burn some enemies, and then they eat a parasol, and they try to do the team up they did earlier with the combo of Kirby on the ball, in the ball on the parasol. And that actually doesn't go well. It actually doesn't hurt enemies, and they get hurt instead. (laughs) Luckily, though, Kirby can also give Rick the ability for vacuum, and with that, they're able to gain more powers. After some springboarding, Kirby heads to the third area without Rick, so he can investigate elsewhere. In the third area of grassland, Kirby finds the first rainbow drop, and excitedly tries to get to it but he isn't sure how to open up the chamber holding it. He tries to burn the entrance and attack it with his parasol, but neither work out. Unsure what power he needs, Kirby rampages across the land with his parasol, trying to find more powers, but ultimately finds none. Kirby sighs and resolves to return when he figures out what power he needs there. By the way, the parasol does work here. I just, when I was playing, didn't hit it apparently correctly. Oops. Kirby, with parasol in hand, knows there's one last part of the grassland to check, and that's the forest. Kirby goes there and finds a sick Wispy Woods, of all things. Wispy isn't feeling too well, so he has a mask over his mouth to help with his coughing. Kirby can tell he's hiding something, though, so Kirby attacks Wispy to get some answers. Wispy throws apples and attacks Kirby with his tendrils. Eventually, Kirby smacks off the mask, so Wispy spits out wind gusts, too. Kirby eventually knocks Wispy silly, and he tells Kirby he doesn't know anything. King Dedede seemed really sleepy when he ordered everyone to the islands to attack Kirby. That's all he knows. Satisfied with his interrogation, Kirby dances and moves on to the next island. By the way, Grassland will return in Kirby's Dream Land 3. Kirby arrives at the Big Forest Island and meets the local Koo, a big purple owl. Kirby asks him for help getting an apple, and Koo obliges. Koo carries Kirby up to an apple tree, and Kirby grabs the apple. Koo then lifts up to drop Kirby off on a nearby ledge, but accidentally slabs Kirby into the ledge, which slaps and hurts Kirby, and he drops the apple. Kirby gets a bit mad about losing his lunch and goes off to investigate in a huff. Ku feels bad about this and resolves to help Kirby with his research and figuring out where the rainbow drops are. Kirby looks around Big Forest, and the first thing he runs into when, besides Ku is a cappy. Kirby knows that this is another King Dedede's minions and that he's been fighting this guy since his first time in Dreamland. So Kirby immediately dispatches the hapless mushrooms. Kirby enjoys the cool breeze of the forest as he travels around and eventually finds another sack with someone in it. It's being protected by a single Scarfy this time. It's another enemy Kirby's been dealing with for, since his first time in Dreamland. They look like a friendly, like, flying pig, but they actually explode and they're pretty scary when you get close to them. Kirby doesn't remember this lesson and gets close, approaches it, and boom, it explodes. A little singed, Kirby watches the sack drop and out comes Koo. Ku tells Kirby he came to help, and Kirby thanks him. Ku then grabs Kirby and his talons, and they fly off. They discover that Kirby's not able to manifest his powers through Ku, though, just like he could with Rick, but thanks to Ku's intelligence, they're able to work together to maximize Kirby's powers in the air. Together, they can dive-bomb like a fire meter into the ground when Kirby has the burning ability and makes King Dedede's army have a very bad day, because now Kirby's running from the sky. The two find that with Q flying, Kirby's able to easily suck up and spit out enemies with ease as well, though. Also, Koo's able to deal with just hard winds, and- but one thing is, when Kirby sucks up enemies, if he wants to swallow, they have to land so Kirby has enough room to do it, apparently. After all these discoveries, they eventually fly into Sir Kibble. Sir Kibble as always, is always clad in armor and has a sharp blade on its head, and they instinctively throw a boomerang blade at Kirby. Kirby and Q take issue with this, and they suck up Sir Kibble. And together, Ku and Kirby are able to shoot out three feather blasts at their enemies using the boomerang ability from Sir Kibble. This is done by Ku flapping his wings really hard, and Kirby cutting out three feathers at max swing to make them very dangerous. Luckily, Ku has a lot of feathers. And by the way, uh, in this game, Sir, Koo, yeah, Sir Kibble's name is Lord Kibble, which is, of course, a mistranslation of Lord Kibble, which is still a mistranslation because it should be Sir Kibble, not Lord Kibble. Fortunately, this is the only game, only Kirby's Dream Land 2 has this error. Everything else always has Sir Kibble, not anything else. Kirby and Q then fly to the second area, and immediately nearly fly into the ever-indestructible, ever-annoying Gordo. This spiky foe has been giving Kirby trouble from the start and is continuing to do so here. Q and Kirby are forced to fly low for a while, but this proves advantageous as they find the second Rainbow Drop chamber. Unfortunately, once again, Kirby doesn't know what power to use to get inside. He tries Cutter, and it doesn't work. Then they try Burning to, to crash through. Still doesn't work. Kirby doesn't give up, and they go find a Drifter Waddle Dee and suck them up and get the Parasol combination. With this one, Kirby and Q spin together with the Parasol, and they are actually indestructible while they drill around. So they try to drill through, and it st- also fails. But they discover, though, that with the indestructibility of the Parasol spin, it makes them indestructible against Scarfies and against Gordos and everything, which makes life so much easier for them as they fly around. They then fly into the hedgehog named Spiky. For the first time in this forest, Kirby has encountered an enemy he's never seen before. And this spike immediately shows its spikes at Kirby, because it definitely spews Kirby as a threat. Kirby, unsure what to do, uh, does what he does best and eats the spikey to gain the needle ability. With this one, Kirby turns into a big spike ball that Ku can carry around to hurt enemies. Kirby then gathers enough of his little star friends to feel determination, life up. Oh, by the way, Spiky will return Kirby's block ball, and will never be seen again after that. Kirby and Koo then leave the area and fly back to the start and try out the Needle ability on the Rainbow Drop chamber. And this time it works, and Kirby has now recovered one of the Rainbow Drops. Just six to go. Triumphant, Kirby heads off to the third part of the Big Forest, and Kirby and Koo... Rampage through the Force, and ignore another old foe for the most part, this foe being Kaboo! They teleport in to get in Kirby's way, but thanks to parasol ability, Kirby and Q just get through them like they're nothing. Poor Kaboo. Eventually, the pair find another sack being hanged in the air, and encounter another tough fighter. This time it's Jumper Shoot, the Haunted Umbrella Monster. It looks like a big wooden umbrella with one big eye, and they throw their sandal at Kirby, which is really weird. It becomes a battle of parasols, and Kirby comes out on top with Koo. Trivia time, by the way. Jumper Shoot appears to be based on the Karakasa, which is a demon that kind of looks just like this thing. Also, Kirby will encounter them again only in Kirby's Dream Land 3, after that, never again. After defeating Jumper Shoot, the sack falls, and out comes Rick! Nope, it's actually Gooey! Kirby's confused by this one. This fellow looks weird. It's a big, dark, blue, smiling ball of goo. Kirby pokes him. And Gooey laughs and then heals Kirby with a lick and then disappears. That was weird. So we'll see Gooey again in Dreamland 3, where he'll be kind of an animal friend. Like, he'll be your player too. This is one of the games that lets you be a player too, and that'll be it. He's going to be a mystery for now, though. And the reason why he appears in this game is so you can't have two of the same thing. So what happened is we had Koo, and then another Koo would come out. But since we already have Koo, Gooey comes out instead. Instead of giving us a random animal, which I guess it makes sense here because we haven't met Kine yet, so I guess that's why they programmed it this way. So the pair then calls Panamonim across the rest of the forest until they run into Nruff and Nelly. Nruff is a big wild boar and Nelly is a smaller boar. The pair see Kirby and Q as dangerous invaders and immediately attack them. Kirby tries to explain otherwise, but they ignore him, so Kirby sucks up Nelly and spits them back at Nruff, which only makes Nruff madder. N'Ruff and a whole bunch of Nellies attack Kirby across a series of platforms from their homes. On occasion, N'Ruff actually spits out exploding balls out of their mouth, and Nellie launches exploding balls from their homes. Kirby eventually overpowers N'Ruff and the Nellies and convinces them he's not a jerk, even does a dance to calm down the Nellies. N'Ruff apologizes since she's been on edge with King Didi's army everywhere, and the Rainbow Bridge is missing. Kirby tells them he's going to bring back the Rainbow Bridges and flies off with Ku. To the third island. Ripple Field is the name of this place. By the way, Nruff and Nelly continue a long tradition of corridor bosses that started with La 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 and Lo, Lo Lo. This is Nruff's only game, also. Their only appearance will also be in Kirby Right Back At you, the anime, and in official Kirby art by Hell. Nelly, on the other hand, will return in a couple more games in the future. And by the way, Nruff is Nelly's mother. And since there's a lot of Nellies, that means Nruff just has a lot of kids. Giving Koo a prank to rest his feathers at Ripple Field, Kirby meets Kine by the water. Kine asks Kirby for the apple he has with him that he was about to eat, and in a show of sharing, which is something Kirby is capable of doing by the way, Kirby gives Kine his apple. Kine is overcome by this kindness and eats Kirby, oh no! But no, Kine was just showing Kirby that he could protect Kirby in his mouth. Kirby thanks Kine for the offer, but thinks it'd be too dangerous for a fish to fight on land and reunites with Koo and leaves. Khan is at first dejected, but decides to follow Kirby just in case he needs his help after all. Ripple Island is a more tropical area, with tropical enemies and exploding coconuts! Thankfully, the parasol with Ku continues to be unstoppable, even against the Glunks on the island. They don't talk, they don't think, they just attack, and Kirby deals with them quickly to not get overwhelmed. He's had plenty of experience with the Glunks. They're basically seeing enemies that can shoot blasts at Kirby, and Kirby don't want to deal with that. While climbing a hill, Kirby almost gets rolled over by a Rocky, the Rock. Kirby remembers them from his adventure, and he knows they're pretty tough, so he sucks one up and gains the Rock ability. With it, Kirby becomes really heavy, too heavy for Koo, and he slams into the ground with a hard thud, making him dangerous from above. Kirby with Koo crush and squish everything in their wake, including Squishy the Squid, who has also been giving Kirby trouble since Dreamland, the original. Just like the Glunks, Kirby's learned to just squish Squishy the Squid, and after this, they venture underwater. Underwater, Kirby and Ku have some trouble moving around and crashing to Blipper, a fish with a scuba mask that just tries to mind its own business. Kirby tries to apologize, but has trouble talking underwater. Kirby runs into plenty of Blippers since he first came to Dreamland, and their need for scuba masks has always concerned Kirby. Kirby lost his rock ability when he crashed into Blipper, though, so that's unfortunate but they are able to get the cutter ability and crash into another blipper and lose that power too. This is hapless. Koo and Kirby swear to never speak of these embarrassments again, and Kirby spits water at the rest of his enemies as they swim their way out to the next area. Kirby and Koo descend into a sea cave and contend with water currents. It's definitely too much and tiring out Koo, but they press on. Eventually they run into Master Green, a big jellyfish. He immediately throws lightning at the pair and covers his body in sparks to attack Kirby. He also throws stars at Kirby. Kirby sucks up the stars and spits them back at the jellyfish until he's defeated. Kirby then sucks him up and gains the spark ability, which allows Kirby to rain down lightning as Koo carries him around. Before Kirby leaves, he hears a thud, and there was a sack in the room. Kirby didn't notice. And out comes Kine. He came to help, but got grabbed by Master Green. Kirby at first leaves, but then Koo suggests Kirby team up with Kine so that Koo can rest his feathers. So Kirby agrees. Kine takes Kirby into his mouth while Koo relieves to rest. To Kirby's surprise, he can't transfer his powers to Kine either, just like Koo. Kirby does find some light bulbs in Kine's mouth, which is weird, and he doesn't question it and gives it power and holds it out in Kine's mouth. This both shocks and blinds Kine, but doesn't hurt him. Back in the currents they find that Kine's swimming ability is significant as they're able to swim through currents that Koo struggled against. Together they swim freely and face many foes, including Sir Slippy the frog. Who Kind didn't notice and accidentally destroyed because he was blinded by the light bulb in his mouth. By the way, Sir Slippy is an enemy Kirby's first faced on his adventure. Eventually they find themselves in a dark cave, but thanks to the light bulb in Kine's mouth, they're able to see clearly and find hidden doors. And hidden enemies as well. In the hidden door they find lots of new star friends for Kirby as well, so that's great. But who knows what they may find hidden in the future. Blinded by the light bulb again, Kind also shocks an enemy that shouldn't be shockable. Sparky! That's weird. This is another enemy from Kirby's adventure. Everyone's getting shot treatment today. The two continue their rampage on land, but find Kine is a lot slower when he's out of the water. But they make do. Kirby continues to search for clues across the island, and then sees what Kine can do with fire and needle. With fire, Kirby throws fireball blasts from Kine's mouth, and to Kirby's surprise, he doesn't transfer his power to needle either. The needles come out of him and just bulge up in Kine from the inside. Kine's got some tough innards, and outards. They also figure out that Kine is able to suck up and filter out the water while Kirby tries to vacuum in enemies, allowing Kirby to suck enemies in underwater. The pair then swim off to the third part of Ripple Island. In the third area, Kirby and Kine spot a Waddle Dee with a drifter, and curiosity gets the better of them. They find out that again Kirby can't transfer powers to Kine, and Kirby just holds the parasol from Kine's mouth. After some parasol-enhanced destruction-slash-investigation, Kirby and Kine come upon some pipes, and at first they thought they saw something but maybe it's nothing. But then when they get close, out jumps an eel, known as ill which is a weird name. The slithering creature scares Kirby and Kine, and they, in shock, Kirby sucks up and swallows them. They actually don't taste bad, and Kirby eats a lot more of them out of the pipes. After a lot more swimming, Kirby and Kine eventually reach a long stretch of water and meet Sweet Stuff, the anglerfish. Kirby tries to talk to him, but Sweet's hungry, so he starts attacking Kirby and Kine to have a meal. Sweet summons Starfish, Squishies, and Gordo to attack them. He also fires light bullets from his bulb on his head, and charges at the pair as well. Eventually, they overcome the big hungry meanie, and they have a little dance, and they move on to the fourth island, which also known as Iceberg. By the way, Ribblefield will return in Kirby's Dream Land 3 as well. At Iceberg, Kirby runs into Rick again. With the decision to venture with the warm Rick, or in the cold water with Kine, Kirby hops on Rick and hugs him, and then waves at Kine to watch himself out there, before leaving with Rick. (laughs) Kine's heart is broken a little that day, but he still chooses to stick around to help Kirby. Kirby does feel bad and grabs Kine and they continue to explore Iceberg together. But soon, tragedy would strike. So in the first area, they run to a curious creature, a propeller bomb. At first, they seem friendly and they smile and everything. But once Kirby and Kine get close, an evil smile appears on its face. Kirby and Kine attack, but it fails and the bomb grabs Kine and throws him away from Kirby. Oh no! Maybe it was a mistake to bring Kine after all. Kine is launched into the distance and Kirby can no longer see him. Kirby then uses the Needle ability to pop the propeller bomb. But the damage has been done. Hopefully Kine will be okay out there. Kirby worries, but then moves on. Kirby needles shocks and burns his way across Iceberg while searching for clues. He then finds Rick trapped behind an ice wall, and Kirby melts his way through. Reunited with Rick, they find that thanks to Rick's warmth and toe beans, Rick doesn't slip on the ice which really, really helps with platforms, because there's a lot of slipping and sliding here. Kirby and Rick encounter another propeller bomb, and they hurriedly try to avoid them. And thanks to Rick's feet, they're able to not fall from small platforms as they escape. They then encounter Master Pengy the Penguin. Kirby and Rick wave happily at him, but he knows Kirby's an enemy of the Big D. So he rushes them, and Kirby has no choice but to have Rick eat him up, which gives them the ice ability. And with it, Kirby and Rick turn into a snowman with Rick form in the bottom part, and Kirby forming the top part, and they freeze the other Pangies in the area, turning them to ice cubes for Rick to slide at other enemies. The Pangies try to fight back with ice breath, but the pair are too much for everyone. By the way, this is the only game with Master Pengy in it. After some exploring, Kirby and Rick run into Blocky, who wants nothing more than to crush Kirby, so the two put Blocky on ice. They then take his power and Rick turns into a big boulder for Kirby to run on while he rolls around. Unfortunately, the fight took its toll and Rick gets slapped away by the next Rocky they fight. Kirby then rolls over his enemies as Stone Kirby for a while. Kirby then gets caught in a blizzard, and gets harshly pushed forward. But Kirby braves the cold and continues on. Kirby eventually runs into Jumper Shoot, seeking revenge. But Kirby defeats them and finds Ku was captured as well. Thankfully, Ku is strong enough to brave through the winds, and together they make progress in the blizzard. After a lot of flying, Ku and Kirby gain the Spark ability, and then run into Mr. Frosty the Walrus who Kirby first faced on his big adventure, and then again in the pinball land. Kirby asks if he knows anything about the rainbows going missing, or about King Dedede's plans. Mr. Frosty responds by attacking Kirby! So Kirby and Ku rain down lightning from above with the spark ability, and after defeating him, Kirby sucks him up and they gain the ice ability. And with this, Kirby is able to fire blasts like a flying turret. It's very interesting how this one goes. It's very cold, and it's very dangerous. And it also turns out that Mr. Frosty was holding Kine hostage. Overjoyed to find his friend is okay, Kirby teams up with Kine and gives Koo another break from carrying him around. Together they find that again, Kirby's ability doesn't transfer to Kine, but Kine is tough enough to handle Kirby's powers. Though they find that when Kirby freezes for too long, Kine does get frozen by the ability as well. So what happens is, Kirby does an ice ability and it freezes everything around the two of them, but if he does it too long, Kine gets frozen, and Kine turns into ice cube like everything else. Together, they swim under the iceberg and give every enemy the cold shoulder. Kirby and Kine then rush to escape more propeller bombs, but sadly ultimately get separated again. Alone again, Kirby springboards forward to the next challenge as he searches for the rainbow drops. Immediately in the next area, Kirby fights Ephradi again and then teams up with Rick after that. Together, they melt down and freeze everything standing against them as they walk across the ice. Eventually, they take on a group of Sir Kibbles and take their power. This time, the power manifests in an interesting way. Rick can actually throw Kirby like a boomerang. Good thing Kirby's tough as well. They also escape a gauntlet of Shotzo's indestructible cannons uh, that shoot at Kirby. And Kirby's been dealing with them his entire life, by the way. Uh, Just like the Gordos. But eventually they get through, and Kirby gets worried, though. This was the second-to-last part of Iceberg, and he hasn't seen the rainbow drop yet. Then Kirby and Rick run into an ice dragon in the final part of the Iceberg. They both agree the dragon is pretty cute, which the dragon takes offense to. They're supposed to be cool and scary, so they attack Kirby and Rick with an arsenal of attacks. The ice dragon rushes at them, breathes ice breath, jumps up and slams to the ground at them, which causes icicles to fall, and the ice dragon also tail whips icicles at Kirby, too. It's eventually too much, and Rick and Kirby are defeated. But after a lot of struggle, Kirby is able to overcome the ice dragon alone. Kirby couldn't let Rick just keep getting hurt, so he had to do it on his own. Kirby then dances and leaves the iceberg, which will return in Kirby's Dream Land 3. Arriving at the fifth island, known as Red Canyon, Kirby and Rick struggle up a mountain to go meet Koo, who has been recovering. They use Rock Rick Roll to go up and down the mountain when they can, when possible, and they finally get to Koo, but they have too much momentum and they crash into a wall. Unfortunately, the rock Koo was on falls down on Kirby, but thankfully Kirby turns into a rock just in time to not get hurt. And then Koo lands on Kirby and his talons dig into Kirby. Oops! Still, everyone breathes a sigh of relief. The three then go their separate ways to spread out and look for clues. Kirby continues to ask around about the rainbow drops, sometimes friendly, sometimes violently. A lot of attacking of King Dedede's minions, though. Kirby, of course, makes them regret attacking him. Kirby then faces off with Master Green again and defeats them. He then finds Rick was captured again, and turns out that when they're on their own, Kirby's animal friends get picked on a lot. (laughs) But with the shock ability, Rick is able to fire off a wave of electricity that shocks everything. Even Kirby! The two take a long climb together and power through a lot of minions. However, Rick is too much damage, and Kirby sends him off to bandage himself up and rest a while. Kirby goes on a perilous flight against Shantos, Gordos, and many other enemies as he searches. Eventually, he runs into Blade Knight! No, actually, it's just Blade now! Turns out that after Kirby's adventure, he lost the Knight title and he's trying to earn it back. By defeating Kirby! Kirby tries to reason with him, but ultimately relents and knocks him out with an air bullet. This is the only game with Blade, by the way. He can't be inhaled, and he can he'll only be knocked out with Star Bullets, the super, the super versions, and with Air Bullets, because he can't cut the wind. But regular Star Bullets will get knocked away by Blade, which is interesting. Kirby then tears through the second area of Red Canyon until he finds himself in a forest, and he meets Weyu, the ninja. Kirby waves at him, but he just stands there. Kirby asks about the rainbow drops, but he just stands there. Kirby asks about the sack up high, but he just stands there. Kirby decides to leave. But then the silent assassin attacks. He throws shurikens at Kirby and Ninja vanishes to do big explosive stomps and moon kicks at Kirby as well. Kirby eventually dodges and blasts the ninja before gobbling him up. Then out of the sack comes Ku and together they fly off. But strong winds separate them and Kirby sees Ku get captured. So Kirby follows and finds Axe Knight, except no, like the other guy, they've been demoted too. He's just Butch now. But maybe he can defeat Kirby, he'll be remoted, is what he's thinking. So just like Blade, Kirby can't suck him up, or his axes. Kirby tries to reason with him as well, but failing so, he rushes and knocks out the Axe Knight, known as Butch now. Then reunited with Koo, they fly off to continue their search. By land, sea, and air, Kirby with Koo continues the search, but only find more minions to trounce as they go. Unfortunately, Propeller Bomb once again gets in their way, and Koo gets launched away from Kirby. Frustrated, Kirby rampages across the Red Canyon for a while. Eventually, Kirby runs into Captain Stitch. It's a huge Gordo, and they have a prisoner. Turns out the smaller they are, the tougher they are, because this Captain Stitch is actually huge, and he's actually vulnerable to attacks when he rushes Kirby. He'll rush Kirby and crash into a wall, which will make him vulnerable, and then the spikes on his body will come off, and Kirby can actually suck him up and hit him with that. After defeating Captain Stitch and taking their needle power, Kirby is once again reunited with Koo, and they fly through the windy, colder parts of the canyon. After a lot of fighting together, Ku gets tired and Kirby continues the climb alone. Kirby goes through a lot of trouble, but eventually progresses upward. Kirby just can't be stopped as he searches for the rainbow drops. And finally at the top, Kirby finds another rainbow drop! But once again, it's in a chamber he can't break through. Kirby relents and resolves to come back to free the rainbow drop in the future, and climbs down the mountain. Climbing down the mountain, Kirby notices an odd shape to the area, but he doesn't think too much on it and leaves. So this is an easter egg. This is one of the few easter eggs in this game. So in this stage, World 5 Stage 5, the last area before you finish the stage, the level layout is actually a naked woman. It's quite the racy joke by Hal right there. I guess they thought they were Disney for a moment. For for the YouTube version you'll see on the screen, it's basically the shape of a woman. Very basic, but it's definitely what it is. Upon landing, Kirby runs into Mr. Shine and Mr. Bright. Remembering their encounter from his adventure, Kirby immediately turns into Rock Kirby, and crashes down on Mr. Bright, while Mr. Shine hides in the sky like the cowardly moon he is. <laughs> at first, they give Kirby trouble, but Mr. Bright fires himself at Kirby, while Mr. Shine drops stars on Kirby, and then they switch, and Mr. Bright drops the heat on Kirby, while Mr. Shine throws moomerangs mooner- at Kirby. They also do combination solar flare attacks, where Kirby can only protect himself if he, isn't- if he gets behind Mr. Shine in time, and that's a trouble, but eventually Kirby crashes the two misters into each other, and they get knocked out. Kirby tiredly dances and then flies off to the next island, Cloudy Park. Cloudy Park definitely deserves its name. Kirby finds himself lost in the clouds. Kirby bounces around, but gets stuck in the clouds and can't get out. Something's holding him down. Koo flies up and pulls Kirby free. Turns out it's actually kind-sticking to Kirby, because he's really scared since he's really, really high up. Once they get to a safe place, the three separate and search for the next rainbow trail. Kirby breezes through the clouds for a while, but eventually runs into Jumper Shoot, who's again trying for revenge. But Kirby quickly shocks that idea out of them. After defeating them, Kirby finds that Koo was captured. This stands to reason since Koo would be very helpful in the clouds, so of course he'd be captured. The two cause a lot of trouble in the skies, especially with the parasol ability from Jumper Shoot. After lots of flying around, Kirby and Koo fly into the Knights. Well, former Knights, and they're joined by Mace Knight, or in this case, Masher. A big armored brute with a big flail. Kirby and Ku put the knights on ice and move on to other important business. The battle did take its toll on Ku and Kirby goes it alone for a while. Kirby then goes 1v1 with Blocky and frees Rick. They go through some trouble with heavy winds and water before getting out of the area. Kirby wonders if there's significance to a place that would have been trouble for three of his animal friends, but he leaves the thought alone for now while the he continues his search. Kirby and Rick cause a lot of trouble and eventually get caught in a wind maze. It made them really dizzy, but eventually they got through this not-fun area. They bowl over a bunch of enemies as they descend, then Kirby tears through a maze alone and takes down Captain Stitch again. Then together, Kirby and Rick discover Kirby's needle power makes Rick into a temporary porcupine. Together they get through a gauntlet of Gordos and other enemies, then separate again high in the sky so Rick can rest some more. Kirby then destroys lots and lots of clouds as he searches lots and lots of other clouds. There's a lot of clouds in Cloudy Park, Kirby thought. But no Rainbow Drop so far. After all this, Kirby surges the sixth part of Cloudy Park and runs into Master Green again. But what is he doing all the way up here? After defeating him, Rick tags back in and together the pair rampage around looking for the Rainbow Drop. They deal with a cloud maze and a water maze. This place would be amazing if it wasn't so much of a struggle for them to get through. In the end, Kirby lets Rick rest after all and goes to the seventh and last part of Cloudy Park alone. There he senses a familiar presence he hasn't sensed in a long time. In the clouds an eye bulges out of the ground. Eventually it starts firing a familiar beam at Kirby, and then it pops out. It's Krako! They want another round against Kirby. Kirby dodges and flies around Krako's attacks, which include ramming attacks and exploding cloud attacks. Kirby then sucks up co krakos which are small mini Krako clouds, to fire back at Krako. After enough damage, Krako goes into full form and fires more blasts at Kirby and rain down shots. On occasion, co-crackos cool pop out of Cracko, and Kirby spits them at Cracko to eventually dissipate the British cloud. Kirby wipes his brow and then does a little dance before heading to the seventh and final island. The island that is home to the massive dark castle. One of King Dedede's many castles. Cloudy Park will return in Kirby's Dream Land 3, like some of the other islands. Thing to note is, Kirby has been fighting Cracko in... Every single game. Uh, at this moment, Kirby and Cracko have been in every game. Same thing goes for Wispy Woods, just every single one of them. Kirby and Rick and Koo and Kine look out at the castle and consider their options. Well, Kine's actually sleeping during all this. After they form their attack plan, uh, they wake up Kine and head out to tackle the castle by land, sea, air, and puff. Kirby first crosses the bridges on the western side of the castle and tears his way through with his mouth, sucking and spitting at everything he has in his view. They're guarding the castle strongly as ever. Then, after getting through a sliding corridor, Kirby faces off against Efridi one last time. Efridi burns across the room trying to take down Kirby, but Kirby puts out the fire for good. That's the last time Efridi's gonna be around. Once across the bridges, Kirby invades the moat of the castle. Kirby swims through and finds an armory of sorts, an area that has many of King Diddy's powered minions locked away. Kirby sucks up a drifter for Parasol and moves on, because he loves his Parasol. Further in, Kirby duels Blade. It's a battle of Parasol versus Blade. Who wins? Parasol, of course. And by defeating him, Kirby finds Kine was captured because he tried to enter through the moat, too, but got caught. Unfortunately, soon after the two are reunited, Kine is lost down a pit. Kirby looks down with worry, but moves on confident that Kine will find a way back. Hopefully. Alone, Kirby faces Master Green and cuts him short one last time. The moat didn't prove to be a good entryway, so Kirby then climbs the ramparts to enter the castle. Once inside, Kirby has to contend with a rushing maze that attempts to squeeze him from behind. Kirby has some trouble, but with fast reaction time and luck, he eventually gets through. He then faces off with that mean old Mr. Frosty. He rushes and freezes Kirby, but soon Kirby melts his aspirations of defeating Kirby, and then moves on to another part of the castle to try to get to King Dedede. A week after this beatdown, Mr. Frosty would awaken from his beating-induced coma, because he'll return again in later games. The western half of King Dedede's castle was now defenseless after Kirby's attacks, but yielded no clues on King Diddy's whereabouts or where the Rainbow Drop's containment on the island is. So Kirby goes to the eastern side of the castle and attacks through its bridges to the castle. After what Kirby did to the western side, the eastern side has all their best defenses, like many Sir Kibbles and the former knights, but their counterattack does little to stop the pink wave crashing upon them. After breaking through and surviving another rushing maze, Kirby faces off against Weiyu, the ninja, and makes the elusive ninja disappear forever. He didn't even say any last words, which is rude much. Kirby finds some wrapping on his foot, and Kirby thinks back. Oh yeah, he ran into some mummies on the maze! Guess he unraveled them without much thought. They have always been s- these weird floating mummies Kirby's been dealing with since his first time in Dreamland. Kirby then attacks the eastern moat, which he has double the guards and water hazards. Kirby wonders if Kine is okay. Then Kirby's question is answered when Kirby defeats Blade again and frees Koo! Uh-oh, where's Kine? Koo hasn't seen him. Koo is caught while scouting the ramparts. Kirby and Ku then go off and get a parasol and face Blocky. Together they grind him into dust for the last time. Koo and Kirby fly up to the eastern ramparts and the air is frigid, but they bear with it and take revenge on those who captured Ku. Unfortunately in the rush maze, Kirby gets separated from Koo and must brave the place alone again. Kirby then takes on and takes out Captain Stitch once and for all. But Captain Stitch wishes he was a small Gordo instead. With all outer defenses destroyed, Kirby enters the heart of the castle, searching for rainbow drops from King Dedede. Kirby dodges lots of spikes and then struggles through a dark room filled with glunks. After this, Kirby encounters another armory with every powered enemy in a series of rooms. Kirby senses there's something important at play here, but he isn't sure what. Kirby grabs a parasol and notices destructible walls. Kirby realizes this must be a puzzle room and he must need the right powers. Kirby hopes he chose right with the parasol. Kirby then ends up in another armory and keeps hold of his parasol, which turns out to be a mistake. Parasol can't break through the next walls. Kirby knows he's failed, but he'll have to come back later and see what this puzzle leads to. Kirby is then surrounded by a mumby horde! They weren't happy about Kirby thoughtlessly destroying their kind before. Kirby's shocked by the numbers, so he apologizes and runs away, but accidentally pops a mumby with his parasol as he escapes. Kirby then deals with a series of ordeals, a room for a Gordo full of Gordos, the knights making one last stand, falling icicles, which thankfully he brought the parasol to deal with, a room full of broom hatters just trying to clean up, and finally Jumper Shoot. Kirby's fought him more than the others, and this would be their final encounter. Parasol versus Demon Umbrella. Kirby makes this Jumper Shoot's last and final stand. And with that, Kirby has defeated King Dedede's entire army. All that's left is the king himself. Kirby steps up to the top of the castle and confronts the big bully. But to Kirby's surprise, he's sleeping. Kirby goes to tap him, and then gets attacked by the Sleeping King Dedede. The Sleeping King Dedede does his usual attacks and more, running at Kirby, sucking and spitting him out, big jumps, hammer swings, hammer jumps, and then sleep rage somehow, where he does everything that he just did, but faster and with explosions. Kirby keeps getting back up with each hit and eventually overcomes the sleeping tyrant. Kirby knocks him senseless and figures he did his job. Kirby then descends the castle with Parasol in hand, and marches triumphantly home with his friends Rick, Kine, and Ku. And during the march home, we get to see all the enemy names and what they look like, so you know what what matches what, of course, as credits instead of people credits. But the final enemy is shown, isn't King Dedede, but a question mark with one eye. Like, question mark, question, question mark, with this shadowy symbol, the figure, with one eye. Kirby thinks it's the end, but Kind senses something's amiss. What could it be? Kirby gets home and kicks his feet up and gets ready to nap. When it hits him, THE RAINBOW DROPS! Kirby beat up King Deity, which usually solves things, but he forgot to bring back the rainbows! Kirby rushes out of his house and gets his animal friends together. They still have work to do! Kirby first returns to grassland, and he finds that with a parasol in the third area, he's able to free the rainbow drop there. He had a parasol the first time. Apparently he just didn't hit it right. Oops. Kirby already had the second rainbow drop from earlier, so he moves on to Ripplefield. There he brings Kine with him to a dark room, and with Spark, he finds a secret door. He then returns with Stone to free the rainbow drop, and with Stone Kine, which I haven't described before, uh, just like the other ones, Kirby's power, it doesn't work on Kine. What happens is it weighs Kine down, and he lands with a thud, and Kirby just crushes whatever's under them, and it's just a good thing Kine's really durable. Kirby then heads to Iceberg, and Kirby finds the Rainbow Drop in the fourth part of the Iceberg with the help of Fire Kine. Kirby then takes Rick with him to the fifth part of Red Canyon. Kirby remembers this one, he wasn't able to get it before. But Kirby eventually figures out that he needs Spark Rick to get the Rainbow Drop. In the second area of Cloudy Park, Kirby finds himself dealing with a very tough Rainbow Drop rescue. It requires Kirby to utilize the help of all three of his animal friends to ultimately get it. He needs Kine to swim through a specific area, then Rick to Rick sparks some shots to defeat them, which will, uh, reveal Ku. And with Ku, he has to go and fight Weiyu the Ninja to get the Cutter ability. And with that, he then has to go through the wind that is pushing Ku back, but luckily Ku’s tough enough, to go and retrieve the Rainbow Drop there. And after all that, Kirby then returns to Dark Castle to search for the seventh and final Rainbow Drop. And Kirby knows it's gotta be in the seventh area. He just doesn't know how to get to it. Kirby then realizes something. There was a dark room. So Kirby brings Sparkkind with him and discovers a secret! Turns out, the order of the next area is Fire, Stone, Needle, Ice, and Cutter. Kirby cries a little because he realizes his parasol wasn't even a thing in the puzzle. But he's able to get the rainbow drop, and so now Kirby has all seven pieces of the rainbow drop. So he has the full rainbow drop set, but no idea what to do with them. So Kirby thinks maybe King Dedede would have an idea, but nope, he's still sleep-attacking Kirby. So Kirby knocks him out again. And when King Dedede falls, something happens. The Rainbow Drops react. All seven Rainbow Drops come together to form the Rainbow Sword. And the Rainbow Sword forces a darkness out of King Dedede. Kirby realizes King Dedede was being possessed by some kind of dark matter. Kirby then flies up into space after them. Turns out this dark matter also has a sword of their own. And they have crazy hair and a poncho and a visor over their single eye. So now it's a duel between Kirby and this Dark Matter Swordsman, known as Dark Matter Blade. Kirby asks them why they did it, and they said they hate everyone here. He took over King Dedede and took away the Rainbow Bridges out of spite. Kirby finds that petty. The Dark Matter Swordsman fires off beams, lunges at Kirby, and slashes out dark balls at Kirby. Kirby dodges and fights back by cutting the Swordsman with his sword and slapping back the dark energy balls. Eventually Kirby proves too much and the Swordsman transforms into their true form. A being of pure dark matter. They're a ball of dark matter with one big eye and ten appendages. Side note, depending on the game, dark matter either has eight to twelve appendages, for some reason. It just depends on each matter, I guess. Dark matter fires out dark bullets at Kirby. It even charges at him and fires dark lightning, and throws energy balls. Kirby fights back with lots of dodging, slashing, and slapping the energy balls back at dark matter. After a lot of struggle, Kirby finally delivers the final blow to dark matter. Dark Matter cries out that it just wanted friends and explodes. The blast knocks Kirby unconscious and he falls back to Popstar, and he's burning up in the atmosphere. From Popstar, Koo, Rick, Kine, and King Didi look up at the stars, wondering if the battle has finally ended. And also, who's the victor? Is this the end of Kirby, in the fifth game out of like 20 plus games now? (laughs) Kirby awakens as he falls from space and grabs the rainbow sword. Kirby then has fun floating through space with the rainbow sword and waves at you. He waves at me. He waves at everyone. Kirby starts flying through the sky like a pro with the sword because Kirby's just really good at adapting to things, and he rebuilds the rainbow bridges with the rainbow sword. The end. Yeah, that's how the game ends. Kirby makes a rainbow bridge, and then that's it. That's the ending of the game, and it's a pretty cool-looking shot, too. So that's the story. Now, at this point, if you played the game, you'd be at about 93% completion. To get 99%, you have to go back to all the boss fights, except King Dedede to do bonus games. So if you went back to Wispy Woods, you wouldn't fight Wispy Woods. You would do a bonus game instead. And so completing all six of those gets you the 99%. And the last 1% is getting Girl Gooey. And you get her by having Gooey show up. But it's random, so there's a really rare chance of her showing up instead of him. And you get her, and then you get the 100%. Now, th- what's interesting about this is Girl Gooey isn't canon, and she's also not Chu, by the way. Uh, Chu would be in Dreamland 3. Uh, in the Japanese version, the girl Gooey is actually a girl named Chao from the game Yuyuki, which is only in Japan. This was an Easter egg tie in. Like how Samus is in Kirby's Dreamland 3, by the way. Chao does, however, show up again in Kirby's Dreamland 3, so there's that. And in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate as a spirit. I can't confirm whether Chao shows up in the English version or only the Japanese version, so we'll find out when we get to that game. So with 100%, you can now go to three other things besides the main game. You can go to Boss Rush Mode, Bonus Rush, and Sound Test. The rushes are marathons, so you fight all the bosses with one life and only with the vacuum ability. Bonus Rush is you do all the rush, you just do all the bonus games uh, with one life, no power for both of them. Sound Test is every sound and song in the game, and I swear there are some hidden sounds and songs that were not in the game itself, but only in the Sound Test, which is a norm for Kirby games. Sometimes they hide things in the Sound Test. There's an image on the screen, by the way. It's Kirby and his animal friends enjoying drinks at a restaurant, while Gooey sings and Girl Gooey plays on the piano. I assume that's chow there for the Japanese version. And that's all the unlocks. There's no harder mode, which is such a weird thing. Feels like it's a bit of a big loss that they didn't have a harder mode here, but maybe... They packed the game cartridge full and there was no room for something like that? I'm not sure. Or they just felt like they put enough work into it. And they did. They did a lot of new things there. So things to mention that I didn't mention in the story. The game over screen, I didn't lose. So the game over screen is if you lose and you continue, what happens is uh, Kirby and his animal friends, they're all sleeping and then you hit continue and a star comes down for Kirby to grab onto and everyone wakes up and they head out to fight some more. Now, if you choose game over completely, what instead happens is The moon and some stars come down, and it becomes night so that they can just enjoy their sleep. So that's cute. Something in case you didn't notice is all the mini-bosses, there were seven of them, and each one represented one of the powers. And something interesting is we got Blade, Butch, and Masher instead of Blade Knight, Axe Knight, and Mace Knight. And I think this is because Knight isn't in the game either. But they still wanted to use these characters, so they put them in anyway, but as regular people instead of as the knights. Another thing I didn't mention is, since it was telling the story, is the pause menu dances. So if you pause the game as Kirby, or as him with his animal friends, they do a little dance. Like, Kirby on his own does a dance, and with each animal, he does a dance as well, which is cute. And another thing with the animals, which is pretty cool, is each one has their own theme song, and you hear the song if you're playing with them. So there's first, of course, Rick's song, then Ku's song, and finally Kynes. Ku is my favorite, and... I think it'd be pretty cool if Jinx could play a little bit of each song, and so you can see why Ku's my favorite. Something that's really interesting visually is Kirby's powers are never used by Ku and Kine, only by Rick, who's actually physically influenced by the powers. And I don't know if that's going to be the case in Dreamland 3. I don't think it is. I remember Pitch turns into a rock, so certain an- animals will, and maybe others won't. But it depends on who they are, probably, but we'll see when we get there. But it's just something I noticed is only Rick gets physically changed. Ku doesn't get changed. He's always just carrying Kirby while he uses his powers, and Kine just suffers Kirby's powers. Oh, something to mention about Dark Castle is... Uh, Dark Castle actually it shows up again in Smash Bros. Brawl, Subspace Emissary. And also in Guest Star of Kirby Star Allies, uh, where you play as Rick, Kine, and Koo for that. Uh, some uh Stage 5 layout is changed to look like Stages 1 and 7 of Dark Castle. One thing to mention as well is just like the fight with Nightmare and Adventure, if you fight too long in the final boss fight, you start losing HP over time. This is because you're just falling back into the atmosphere and it's burning you up, is my assumption. This is the only game where Dark Matter Blade is the primary antagonist and the final boss of the main series. Zero will be the main villain of three, and O2 is going to be the main villain of 64, and they're considered higher rank than Dark Matter Blade. Dark Matter Blade's like just a regular Dark Matter, while those guys are more bosses. In the music room in Kirby and the Rainbow Curse, Kirby's Dream Land 2 is represented by an image of the number 2 on a checkered board background. This is the same 2 used in Kirby's Dream Land 2's logo. These are just some random things I found. One is, issue 72 of Nintendo Power erroneously states that Kirby's Dream Land 2 offers players limited continues, which in reality is not true. It's unlimited. I don't think there's any game that's ever done limited continues, it's always been unlimited. A random thing is, if the player gets to the max points, because there's a point counter in the game, you get 99999999 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9, 9 points, the game will glitch out. Every object that Kirby touches, whether an item or an enemy, grants him a 1 up. This is because 1 ups are awarded when Kirby amasses a certain number of points. And since a score cannot go any higher, every point earning opportunity yields a 1-up. Now, you'll notice I had uh, Dark Matter talk, and that's because of something I found. That is, there's a Japanese Kirby encyclopedia by the name of Saishin Hoshi no Kabi Anyaka, which is the latest Kirby of the Stars' large encyclopedia. And it states that Dark Matter targeted Planet Popstar because it grew jealous of Dreamland's lifestyle and suffered from loneliness due to the fact that no one wanted to be its friend. And you know... If Dark Matter met Kirby first, before attacking, I think they would have been friends, and then we wouldn't have had all these troubles. Like, that's really it. And that's the last fact I want to mention, and that's why I had him say he wanted friends, is... I assume Dark Matter took over and got rid of the Rainbow Bridges out of hate, and also with hope that if he makes the place dark, maybe he'll get friends. It's a sad thing, and it's, this is just one of the many people that Kirby's going to kill... That unfortunately Kirby couldn't purify, like Void in Star Allies, really changed things a lot because Kirby kills a lot of his enemies, but Star Allies he purifies that dark matter, so that's interesting there. And that's everything with the game. All that's left to talk about is the credits, and it's very interesting. So it's gonna be the final section as the games get bigger. I don't know how we're gonna handle it. I guess we just will pick, we'll just cherry pick the most interesting ones to mention in the future. That's the only way I can go about it, I guess, because. When we get to, like, Star Allies, that's like literally hundreds, maybe a thousand people worked on that game. I, we're, I can't cover the full credits. I don't know what we'll do. Maybe we'll just forego the credits at that point, because the game itself will be long enough to talk about. So, first up, the executive producer was Hiroshi Yamauchi, who was the president of Nintendo, executive producer for every game. Whoever's the president is the executive producer of whatever games under them. That's how it is. And he'll be the executive producer for all games until his retirement when he names Satoru Iwata as his successor. One of these days I gotta do the story of Satoru Iwata because he did such an amazing job. He impressed the president to the point that he made him the president. Ain't that something? The producers were Shigeru Miyamoto, uh, who was of course the creator of Mario. We don't need to say much about him because everyone knows that legend. Same can be said for the other producer, was Satoru Iwata, founding member of HAL, president of HAL at this point, and future president of Nintendo, who pushed for the Switch before his untimely death. I wish he didn't die. It would have been great for him to see... Just what his vision would have become, because the Switch is huge. So the project manager is Atsushi Kakuta. His first game was Nintendo, I mean, it was New Ghostbusters 2 under HAL, and was the director and game designer of Alkahest, which is another HAL -Hal game. This was his first Kirby game. By the way, Alkahest has a uh, cameo of Kirby in it. He's he's basically an Easter egg. Depends if you want to call an Easter egg or a cameo. There's like an army, and Kirby's right there. He's like, what am I doing here? He's like, hey guys, we're going to have a party? He will work on a few Kirby games under Hal, with Squeak Squad being his last game ever. He's also the ES designer for Kirby's Dream Land 2. The director is Sinichi Shimomura, and this person is a mystery in the present. They are the father of the Dark Matter trilogy, starting with Kirby's Dream Land 2. They also, of course, worked on uh, Kirby's Dream Course as a map designer. They did the map design for Kirby's Dream Land 2 as well. Their first game was Hyperzone, then they worked on Kirby's Adventure, then Pinball Land, also map designers for those, and then they got the director role. They'll be a mapper under Sakurai for Kirby's Superstar before directing Kirby's Dream Land 3 and Kirby 64 to complete the Dark Matter trilogy. Their final game will be Kirby's Nightmare in Dream Land, which of course is a remake of Adventure, before they disappeared forever. The rumor is they either retired or died at 2003. And there's some theory that they died in 2003. Programmers! Yoshiki Suzuki uh, started as a programmer on Kirby's Adventure and will contribute to many Kirby games. Eventually, they'll direct the first Cross game under HAL. They're still active to this day. They worked as project manager for Super Kirby Clash in 2019. Shimei Shitei... Uh, nothing is known about them, <laughs> so I got nothing. Masashi Yamane uh, has some information. Uh, this will be their only Kirby game. They'll eventually work on Super Smash Bros. Melee, Sonic Lost World, Mario & Luigi Paper Jam, and their newest game is Sonic Force in 2017. The first game they did was Las Vegas Stakes, a gambling game under hell. Uh, CG designers Shigeru Hashiguchi, their first game was them directing Arcana, an RPG under hell. They did character designs for Kirby's Adventure. Their next game was Kirby's Dream Land 2, and they will work on future Kirby games up to Kirby uh, Return to Dream Land. Kazuya Mura is an interesting one. They only worked on Kirby's Adventure in Kirby's Dream Course and Kirby's Dream Land 2 as a character CG designer. Their last Kirby game is Kirby's Block Ball as an animator. Then he disappears for 10 years and returns to do Naruto Ninja Council 2, then disappears for 13 more years and returns to do cinematic storyboard artist work for Breath of the Wild. So that is a random career right there. Yoshiko know, Okubo will only design Kirby's Dream Land 2 and Dream Land 3, and then do animation for Kirby's Block Ball, and then they will disappear from history. Now, the composers is very interesting. Hirokazu Kazu, Ando, and Tadashi Ikigami. Surprisingly, Jun Ishikawa didn't work on this game, and it, I'm pretty sure this is the only, the only Kirby game Jun Ishikawa didn't work on. Hiro, Kazu, uh, Ando, Tadashi, Ikigami, and Jun Ishikawa are Hao's sound guys and composers. Jun Ishikawa is usually the main composer, while the other two are his sound men, and if he's not the composer, one of them's the composer, and then the other one's the sound guy. It's usually Hirokazu Ando is the, is the composer, and Tadashi uh, Kagami is the sound guy, but they do reverse their roles at times. But in Kirby's Dream Land 2, they were both composer and sound guys. And by the way, they still work for Hal, and all three did work on Super Kirby Clash in 2019, so these guys are still active, and wow, they just love working on Kirby. Map designers are Kensuke Tanabe, and we talked about him before in Kirby Dreamland, uh, Dream Courses credits. He's a living legend I didn't know about until then. His first game was Yumi Koji Kojo Doki Doki Panic, which he directed. He then directed and course designed Super Mario Bros. 2, the Japanese one. And from there, he just did a lot of things. He's directed, map design, written scripts, supervised, translated, and so many more things. This man is on the credits as of over 120 video games for Nintendo. In the last decade, he has become a producer for a lot of the major Nintendo titles. His most recent releases are Luigi's Mansion 3, and he's currently working on producing Metroid Prime 4. Hideki Fuji is not as big a figure, but they've done a lot as well. A Link to the Past was their first game, where they worked on the printed artwork. Then they became a map designer for Kirby's Dream Course. From there, they were an illustrator, supervisor, and designer for various Kirby games and Nintendo games. He was character designer for Luigi's Mansion and design director for Big Brain Academy. His last game was planning for Nintendo Land for the Wii U. He then disappeared since then. And lastly, we gotta mention the tool programmers. So Seiji Odoguro was a programmer on Kirby's Adventure and Dream Course, and then they tool programmed for Dream Land 2 before going back to programming Kirby's Air Ride, Canvas Curse, and Superstar Ultra. Then they moved over to team and technical support for Kirby in BoxBoy and P-Cross games. Their last game as team support was Kirby Star Allies. They then moved to localization management for Super Kirby Clash. That's quite the career under hell right there. Yoshimi Takahashi actually followed most of the same path as Seiji, but they programmed, uh, well, they programmed for the same games and did total programming for the same games as well, just like Seiji. But the real difference is there were team support for Super Kirby Clash while Seiji went to localization management. They have the exact same credits up to that point, basically. And that's it for the credits. That's everything. That is everything there is to know about Kirby's Dream Land 2. Everything. I have told you all I can. I have searched, and searched, and read, and done so much. And wow, this was a big game to cover, and it's only going to get bigger. I don't know how we're going to handle the future ones. Some games will be smaller like Toy Box, but that's because they're spin-offs with less story. But we'll see what happens. This is the start of the Dark Matter trilogy, so there's going to be a lot more to be said about that. Next time, we'll be going over Kirby's Avalanche, which is a non-canon game. Well, that's next time we do game uh, on a podcast. Next podcast will be episode 31 of Kirby Right Back At Ya. But Avalanche only came out in the U.S. It was a non-canon game. There's a lot of dialogue there. Even Kirby talks in it, so that's pretty cool, even though it's non-canon. And so that right there is Kirby's Dreamcast. Uh... Come back again for the regular Kirby Right Back Atcha episodes and coverage of other topics like, of course, the full runs on the games and other things like the manga Kirby and people eventually. In case you listen to this episode, there's a YouTube version, too, where you can see lots of visual examples of many things I talked about. I had fun, and hope you had fun watching and or listening. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Having fun. Thanks for coming by, and see you next time. Whew, boyo. Oh.